morning, everybody. It is so good to be here. It is wonderful for us to have this opportunity to, to just join our hearts together, no matter where we are. And also with Easter just in the rearview mirror, a reminder that he is still resurrected. He is still the King, and He is still our God. And so we come to worship Him, and we're thankful that you have you have gathered at least around the device to, to hear and join with brothers and sisters in Christ to, to lift high His name. <clears throat> I want to speak to, to you as well, those who are reading through the Bible with us this year, we had no idea when we began this year that this time would happen. However, there is no better opportunity to read through the Bible than now. Not just for drawing close to Christ and in this weird, hectic time in our world, but also, I mean, if no other reason except you have nothing better to do. And I can tell you, you have nothing better to do than to read God's Word. And so, if you haven't read one word yet, and you want to join with us, you have plenty of time, hopefully, in your world to catch up. And so, would you consider reading through the Bible and taking that opportunity to, to catch up and join with us in reading through the Bible. And so we we are in the book of 2 Samuel today and we are looking at David and the covenant. And I want to bring us all back up to date with where we've been, but but first I want us to look in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want to read verses 1 through 29, and that's because there is no verse 30. So, if you would, with your Bibles open to 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, or you can perhaps look at the screen. <clears throat> We're going to read the word of the Lord together. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of seer? Know then, I mean now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. <clears throat> the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. 
But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your king, your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of this house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself? And to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, so your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we look into your word, we know that your spirit is looking into our heart. And Lord, we are looking into history, but Lord, because of you, this history spreads for eternity. And so Lord, help us to see ourselves in your time, in your eternity. And I pray that you would help us to see far more than words on a page or just hear a history lesson. But Lord, help us to be challenged by you and moved by you. Draw us close to yourself. And Lord, take me out of this picture. Take me out of the way so that what you want reigns. And Lord, be our teacher and draw us to yourself that you will get the glory. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So join me for a moment as we look at history and bring ourselves up to where we are now. We started in Genesis, we begin looking at the different covenants. And so, first we have Adam and the covenant of creation, Genesis 1 through 3. Just as a, a review, the, the covenant with Adam covered creation. And that he would be with them and be their God. And, and then with Noah... The covenant of preservation that he would no longer or he would not kill them again in the same way. That he gave the rainbow as the symbol, the sign of the promise. And once again, that he would not flood the earth again. And then Abraham. With Abraham came the covenant of promise. And in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, he promised land. He promised descendants. And this carried from Genesis 12, 15, even 18, chapter 22. And then we have with Moses the covenant of law. When Moses brought the law at Mount Sinai and the 
the two tablets, and then the two tablets part two. And then we come to David and the covenant of the kingdom. And if you noticed as we read through chapter, chapter 7 that you didn't hear them talking about that word covenant. That's because it's not there. However, it has all of the pieces of covenant. It has the language used in the other covenants. And even, even more, in the future, in the Bible... They talk about the Davidic covenant, referring back to this time and this conversation. And so that is why we know it as the Davidic covenant. And when one covenant came, it didn't necessarily cancel out all of the covenants before. And so thus the same with the Davidic covenant. They each built on the one before and in each case it eventually will lead to the new covenant in Christ one book one author one message and so we've continued that theme from the start and we will continue it even now as we get to David's story and What's pretty awesome about this is that the same God that Moses met on Mount Sinai, you and I can meet in our quiet time tomorrow morning. This is phenomenal. And, and even greater things yet to come as we look at the Davidic covenant. Let's look at the Davidic kingdom and... But I want us to see, before we go too much further, is the parallels in the covenant of the kingdom, in the Davidic covenant. Throughout all of these covenants, you hear this, this language, this same language. You hear throughout these covenants, you hear that there will be a great name, will make your name great. Genesis 12, 2, he said that to Abraham. Of course, we see it here in verse 9. He spoke about to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18, about a place to dwell. Well, you see that here in verse 10. And in verse 12, God speaks to David about offspring, about kings that will follow well, we saw that somewhere else in Genesis 17. And then in chapter 7, verse 14, we see him speaking of this person being called son. We see this with Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. And so this same thing, God is not making this up as he goes along. This is the same theme from the same God. He speaks of redeeming a people. Redeeming a people for myself, says God. And he says that in Exodus 6 to Moses. He says it in verses 23 and 24 to David. He also says, there is no one like me. No one like me, he says it here in verse 22. He, says it, he said it to Moses in Exodus 15. And then the, he gives the regulations for having a king. And I thought it was pretty awesome that back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God goes through the, the idea, the point that when they get a king... That he needs to be following after God. He needs to not have many wives. He needs to not have great riches and those kind of things. And we see that that was very important coming up with David and specifically with Solomon. So with, with that in your mind... Let's look at the Davidic kingdom 
And David, David is the anointed one. And, and so what we will see when we look through these different covenants, we see that God sets God's people in God's place for God's purpose. And we will hit each one of those specifically, but first, God's people. In verse 13, we learn about God's people. He says, He is the one who will build my house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so, a continual seed will endure. This continual seed that he speaks of to David will endure forever. And so why is it important to us that he says this? Because forever is still here. We are in this time frame of forever. We're still covered under this part of this covenant. When he says a continual seed will endure, it still endures today. And he also speaks about an honored son will reign. He speaks about Solomon. And you heard in the reading that it all started with David thinking, you know, I got it made. God has blessed me. God has given me everything that I need. And here I am living in this house built with cedar and there's no place for God to dwell. And he goes to Nathan. Nathan goes to God. God comes back to Nathan and tells him this whole plan. And so with God's people, continual seed and honored son will reign. But not just God's people, but God's people in God's place. A place where they will enjoy God's rest. In verse 10, God says, And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. The people had wandered for so long historically. And to have a place, to have a place to call home, perhaps you know what that's like. A place they can enjoy rest, where people will leave them alone and allow them to be God's people in God's place. And not only will they have rest, but this is a place where they will encounter God's glory. In God's place, they will have God's glory. God's glory will dwell in this place. And he says, I will dwell among you. And so this is pretty important. So this king represents God to God's people. And so they are in God's place. So God's people in God's place for God's purpose. Why is God doing this? Why did God go get this people, redeem this people, bring them to this place? He did it for this purpose. To redeem a chosen people. We see this in verse 23. And then to extol the incomparable God. In other words, for worship. To go get them so that he can show them who he is and what he's like so that they will worship him. Verse 23. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself to make a name for himself. And so this is important. He chose his people not for their glory, but for his. And there is no one like God. And, and so the way it was set up there for this place, God's purpose 
is that at that time the nations would come to the temple and behold God's greatness. So they would come from all over to this temple that would be built from all over the world to give honor to this great God. And this is the way that it was set up. This is the way that it was. Solomon came and David had done the work of collecting the stuff. And Solomon had this tremendous temple built. But there was a problem. It did not continue because of sin. So let's look at some defective kings. This is chapter 7. By chapter 11, verse 2, it began to unravel with just one glance at a naked woman taking a bath on the roof. Let's pause for a second and, and really just set the, the context here because there's not a whole lot of naked people on the roof in Gates County taking a bath. It just doesn't happen here. But where they were, picture, picture social distancing. People didn't live right on top of each other, but also flat roofs. And everybody's roof was about the same height. And so if you're in the middle of your roof, nobody can see you. And, of course, indoor plumbing wasn't a thing for a long time. Also, neither were binoculars, right? So, you were safe. However, this new king, like one after God's own heart, he builds a place for himself. And this place for himself is no longer the one-story little flat. This is palatial. It is large. It is tall. And from that vantage point, he can see a long way. And so, starting with a glance, by the end of chapter 11, we see that this whole thing displeased God. And along the way, there is there's lust, there is murder, adultery, there is the death of the son, all of this going on, and everything changes here. And the one word that affected all of that still affects us, and that is sin. Look at sin's anatomy. Sin's anatomy, as we see it with David, it, it appears so subtly. So subtly, just a glance, just a thought, but it harms so, so deeply. Good night. If you could just look, look back at what that one glance started and how far it ran. And it's easy for us to look at David and say, man, how could he be so dumb? He had it made but let us see that we have the same defect in our heart. We have the same crookedness in us. And we must know that our sin affects us more than we know. It affects more than just us. And know that David, the child of adultery in chapter 11, was dead by the end of chapter 12. It was not just David that was affected. And sin controls so quickly. You see how the man after God's own heart, and we've read through many of the Psalms, and we see that this man is special. This man loves God and will go out of his way to do what is right. But from the glance... He wanted her. He took Bathsheba. And, and then to cover his sin, 
He had Uriah killed. And this whole thing where he was just trying to, to cover his own backside, to cover his own sin, but still get what he wants, led to, to two deaths. Uriah and the son. And it led to kingdom collapse in the near future. It devastates so painfully. And the same is true with us. If we could learn anything from David, from the things that David did wrong, it is to run. If he had, think of Joseph, Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife gave him a glance. If David had done what Joseph did and just ran, how things would be so different. And so let us take every opportunity to run. To run from sin, run from the glance, run. Because sin's anatomy leads to sin's tragedy. And the tragedy, if, if this whole list of things, the subtleness, the depth, the speed, and the pain, if that weren't enough, the real tragedy is the defiance of God. The real tragedy is the destruction of men. This is the real strategy that, that one sin disqualifies us from heaven. One sin disqualifies us and condemns us to hell. Think of that. When we think about how we try to make ourselves look good and compare ourselves to other people to justify what we want to do, one sin disqualifies us from heaven and condemns us to hell. And so, where, where's the hope? If you look through biblical history, when David was no longer king, Solomon became king. Solomon built the temple. It was huge. It was big time. The kingdom expanded. Their enemies were few. Their riches were great. Solomon, he did not follow, though very wise, did not follow God in every way. He had a thousand women. He had riches like no other. God blessed him in incredible ways, but he did the things that God told him already that kings should not do. And so the kingdom was divided, the north and the south, between Judah and Israel. And one at a time, they were picked off. The north, Israel, 722 B.C. And then Judah, 587, 586 B.C., torn apart, overtaken. And this is where, if you remember Daniel... When they were taken to Babylon, they were taken in one of these sieges. And so, where in the world is the hope? Where's the hope as we look at this? This is just depressing. We come for Easter and see that he's raised from the dead, and the next week, it's gloom and despair. But hope, I want to give you this from hope. This is hope. Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. And then later it says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Have you heard that before? He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then, a few chapters later, chapter 11 of Isaiah, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. You get that? A shoot will come up from the stump. In other words, they've been cut. Their family tree has been cut off by their own sin. He's wiped them out, but out of that stump, God brings life. And it will come from the stump of Jesse, which is, of course, David's father. And then verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. So there is, there is hope. And we see this language, this language of David. We see David's name all over the place. When we get to, to Luke, when Jesus is about to come on the scene, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of, guess who? David. And, and even after that, verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then in Luke 2, you see in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And so hear the hope. Hear the hope that God has not forgotten His people. And that is great hope for us. That is good news for us because... We came after. And so, let's look at the divine king. We had the Davidic kingdom, the defective kings, but now the divine king. And here's where we have God's people. Once again, God's people. Jesus came from the seed of David. As you saw, Messiah means the anointed one. Or Christ, the anointed one. God's people. Jesus came as the Son of God. Whereas David was the, the, the seed that would endure. It endured in the person of Jesus Christ. So God's people in God's place for God's purpose. There's God's people in God's place. In Christ... We find our rest. They had the promised land as a place for, for the rest. We have in Christ rest. Because Christ is our righteousness. And in Christ we see his glory. We see this in John 
chapter 1, John chapter 2, 2 Corinthians, we see it in chapter 4. We see God's people in God's place. And now let's look for God's purpose. In, in God's, God's people, in God's place, for God's purpose. And what is this purpose? To save a chosen people. A whole lot like the Davidic covenant. To save a chosen people. And to save this chosen people for the purpose to exalt the incomparable God. I want to go back to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have Peter. Peter is getting ready to preach. And he is laying it out there. And I want you to hear Acts 2.29 and following. He says, and as I read this, listen. Listen from the mindset of what you've heard today about David. But also for what this means to you. He says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, was, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so amen as Peter preaches. And so here's the picture. Peter has given them a history lesson. And he's saying, David, David's dead. We all know he's dead. Because he's buried right over there, and you can go look at his grave anytime you want, and he's still in it. He's dead. And so, the text that Peter's looking at in history, from Peter's perspective, it must have been speaking of someone else. And so this someone else is Jesus. So turn to Jesus as your king, as your only hope. Look to Christ. In fact, the one that you killed, his grave is empty. He is not there. He is the king. And this is the purpose. To save a chosen people. To exalt an incomparable God. There is no one like our God. And so, before we... Before we close this out, I want to take you one more place. And that's Revelation 5. Looking in Revelation 5, I want to read the first 10 verses and hear what this means. Listen to what this means for us. When I saw. In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll. A scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And so they were waiting for one who would, would open these seals. They were waiting on one who would usher in the kingdom. And who were they waiting for? Could David open it? How about Abraham or Moses? How about Peter or Paul or Mary? None could open it. None could open the scroll. But only Christ. Only the one who was slain. Only the one who was slain and did not. One who is not dead, and even is not dead right now. And so, what's crazy is, the temple. The temple that Solomon built, it drew people from all over the world. Queens and kings from all over came and brought glory to God by coming to this temple that was built by Solomon in the Holy Land. But now, where's the temple? The dwelling place of God is with men. He is in the hearts of believers. And so, what that means is, the temple now goes to the nations to declare God's greatness. And so whereas before the nations flooded the temple, now the temple is commanded to go to the people and declare the word of the Lord so that the nations will glorify God. And so for us, Christian, I believe for us, this means for us to turn, turn from our sin, to turn and run away no longer. But run to Christ. Run to the only one. And make him in the place where he already is. He is the king. But we need to acknowledge his kingship over us. His rule and authority over us. Our sole desire... And note then that we don't sit back and wait for the world to come to us. But instead, that we are the temple and we go to the nations to declare God's greatness. And so God blesses us so that we can go to the nations and bring them the greatest blessing of all. And how weird is it? To be on lockdown and hear that we are supposed to go to the nations. Do you think God is putting an asterisk on the Great Commission now? Say, you know what? I didn't I didn't quite understand that COVID-19 was going to come. And you're commanded by your superiors to... To be on the down low, stay at home, and social distance and all of that stuff. And so, for the time being, we're just going to, to call off the whole Great Commission thing. God knew long before our birth 
He knew long before his death that COVID was coming. And he knows what's coming next year too. But still, with everything that we have, every opportunity that we have, the use of technology, the use of our voice, whatever it would be, perhaps this is the opportunity to talk to our neighbor at six feet. Where else are they going, right? Are they going to run? Well, not far. And so God has blessed us to show his glory to the nations. And so let us do just that. And may this church be a faith family that is spent for the proclamation of the glory of this Messiah to the end of time, to the ends of the earth. And, and just where you are right now, in your living room, in your pajamas, whatever is going on in your life right now, I just want to lay this at your feet. And that is this. God is not worried. He is not afraid. His glory has not diminished at all. And His commands have not changed. And so allow ourselves to get past our fear and even the other stuff that's now in our way is taking our focus off of growing in Christ and being his faith family. And instead of you know, looking for who's got bread and who's got TP this week, let us return to this place where we're growing in Christ. Church, we have no excuse for not reading the word. None. And so let us read it. And allow God, even in this time where, where most people, their lives are calmer. That may not be you. You may be pulling somebody else's slack and doubling your workload for someone who's at risk and staying home. But let us get this. And look for ways to show God's glory to the nations. And if you, you can't do that because you don't know him at all, here's your opportunity to meet him personally. And I love this because we can't say, walk down this aisle and shake my hand and say these magic words or touch this prayer cloth or the hem of somebody's garment and all of that stuff. But here's the deal. The Christ that that we talked about last week. He came and he died for our sin, to take our sin away so that we can come to Christ. Be introduced to him. He came for you. And if you will acknowledge him as king, if you will turn away from your sin and turn to Christ, he's promised he will save you and he will show you his glory and he will enable you to do the things he's commanded you to do. And so as I pray in just a second, would you pray and ask God what he wants you to do right now? Even in your living room, even though you're not perhaps dressed in your Sunday best and your hair looks nappy, he is seeing your heart and he cares about the contents of your heart and your eternity anyway. And so would you just get real serious as I pray? And seek God and where He wants you to be and what He wants you to do right now. So would you pray with me? God, we, we hear Your Word. We acknowledge Your glory. And we see Your hand moving all throughout creation. And even today, as You've promised, this is still part of forever. Where You are on Your throne. And You want to rule in our hearts but because you are a gentleman you've given us that decision to make Father I pray for everyone that's, that's listening everyone that's watching right now Father I pray that you would speak very clearly in their hearts right now lead them to what you want them to do today what step needs to happen today to lead where you want them to be tomorrow, one day, or even forever. 
Lord, I pray that you would not allow this, this plague on our land to keep people away from you. Break through that thought process in our minds that to be close to you means being close to a building. But Lord, help us to see faith come alive even in common areas, in common places, wearing common clothes and looking like common people. Help us to come in face to face with an uncommon God who longs to do uncommon things in our, in our world and in our lives. Father, be the Lord of this moment and allow your power to move mightily among your people and among those who are perhaps meeting you for the very first time today. And as we sing, I pray that you would continue to bring encouragement, conviction, salvation, whatever you long to do today, do it, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It has been a great, great joy to spend this time with you. I want you to, to hear that if God is leading you to make a decision for Christ or to take a step, perhaps to join with this body, or whatever that decision may be. Just because we can't see you face to face doesn't mean we are not here. Let us know. You can call me, contact the church, or if you belong to another church, contact your pastor. It would be a tremendous thing, and celebration will happen in heaven no matter if anybody is in a church building anywhere. And so follow through on what God is leading you to do. And so I want to leave us today with just a word of prayer. And again, thank you for joining with us. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for meeting us here. And no matter who was here or if anybody could ever be here, Lord, you would even come if you were the 11th. Whatever the case, Lord, thank you for allowing us to worship you. Father, I pray specifically for those you are leading to make decisions, to run from sin, to run into your arms, to be encouraged by you in tough times. Lord, continue to move and show your power. And Lord, I pray that you would incite our minds engage our hearts to even creatively lead people to faith in Christ. Help us to see what the Great Commission means for us even in these days. And Lord, help us to, to consistently be blown away by you as we read your word, as we see your work. And Lord, get the glory for the great things that you are doing. And may your name be lifted high. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.